0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We are a podcast devoted to all things that have to do with founders, starter, startups, entrepreneurs, um, also the VCs, uh, Angels, uh, family offices, investment firms that help them, not to mention accelerators and incubators. It's a really, it's a really long list. Remember that we are on all the major podcasts platforms. Um, if you happen to get a chance to, to to subscribe, that would be great. Also to rate us, give us a nice high rating if if you feel that way, if you feel good about what we're doing. But a good example of what we do is today we have with us on the accelerator, Julia Imperatrice. She is the COO of the Weave Acceleration in New York. And we're going to talk about all kinds of international acceleration today. Welcome, Julia. Great to have you.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Excited to be here.
0: Yes. So tell us, um, I want to get into your story, um, uh, your personal story a bit, but tell us about Weave Acceleration and what is your niche in this ecosystem? Because I really think it's pretty unique um, as far as I know, as far as I've been able to find out.
1: Absolutely. Um, So maybe a little bit of background. Weave Acceleration is a startup accelerator. We're based in New York, but we operate in all the U.S. and we help international startups with U.S. market entry. We focus specifically on startups that are outside of the U.S. that already have traction, growth, um, that have a strong team and product. B two B focused that that are selling to usually enterprise clients, and we help them with anything that's like from raising funds, opening an office, build their team, um, also attract clients and follow their business development leads here in the U.S.
0: So that's a lot. Now, what what is how do you manage to do that? I know you do generally do not charge the participants or take equity. So how do you how do you make this happen?
1: Right. So our business model, um, it's different according to the partner we're working with. We have one line of the business is working together with corporate and governments, and that's where the majority of our startups comes from. We design and customize specific acceleration programs for different ecosystems. For example, we've been working now for a few years with Australia, Canada, um, India, and other countries to really develop a platform for them to support their companies going abroad and specifically to the US. And we also have our own flagship program that is dedicated to all international startups. We have a rigid selection process for that one, so we only accept five to ten startups per batch. And for that one, we do charge a flat fee directly to the companies.
0: And that is called Plunge, is that right? What's the um, name? No, of it?
1: that's our. It's our flagship program. Flagship so right, program.
0: Okay, name. sorry. Um, so, so why? would a country and I assume you might go to the trade ministry or the State Department or something like that. First of all, I guess, where do you go within a country and what's your pitch to them to support a company coming to weave in New York City?
1: Yeah, so it's a pretty easy pitch because every company more or less has to go at a certain point to the U.S. if they do want to scale and grow their business. It's one of the biggest market in the world, especially for, um, you know, B2B customer developments, but it's just like a huge market that most international companies have to keep in mind. Um, We mostly work with international trade agencies, trade commissions, Chamber of Commerce, anyone that within the government has the mandate to really support the export, um, export import. So we also support them sometimes with scouting companies that do want, that they want to attract to their home country, but mostly work with the, uh, with the trade agencies to support the growth in the US.
0: So what would be an example, say you go to Australia where you do a lot of business, what's your pitch to them and why should they support what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so um, with them, they have a very strong fintech community. They had a, a lot of very interesting startups that have grown internationally, that have become unicorns, and they do want to support that ecosystem and help them continue developing. It's great for Australia because eventually that's where the headquarter of the companies is of the startups. And if they do grow their business internationally, they're going to bring even more, um, you know, money into the, their home country, hiring more employees, keep growing their business. At the same time, they don't really have that platform in the US, because mm-hmm. they are not from from here originally, they don't have the network, they don't have the means. And so that's where the partnership begins our pitch is more an understanding of the needs and like where they're coming from what their companies need and then we design together what is the best tool to achieve those goals and objectives that they have internally and that could be through short short-term programs so sometimes we have done you know a one-off boot camp sometimes it's more two weeks three weeks it depends on what's the scope 99% of the time, the, the real goal of these agencies, as well as the companies, is to set a foot in the US, which is legally speaking, so anything that's administrative uh, procedures, building a team, mm-hmm. uh, opening an office, and then uh, right after is really finding those clients and raising money. And for that, um, we do have the network, the experience, the mentors, and the infrastructure to really support them in that growth effort.
0: And um, tell me a little bit about how you got to be in this position because I'm uh, a very observant interviewer. I noticed that you you're Italian. Um, so you're you're an Italian in New York working with startups and and councils and uh, um, state departments and chambers of commerce all over the world. So how did, and you're not that old, uh, Julia, you're quite a, quite young. Um, in your 20s, um how did you how did you get to this spot? How did that happen?
1: Yeah. So, well, first of all, I love working with the startups and that's kind of been the driver for my entire career. When I started right after um I graduated business school in Europe in France and I started working for big banks and international organizations and very, very quickly realized how much I loved um, getting things done in smaller environments. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started consulting early stage startups on their business models, really fi- helping them attract investors. And this was back in Europe, um, implementing any processes that they need to support their growth. I then joined a French unicorn um, and specifically helped them structure in their U.S. partnerships to grow in the U.S. So that kind of was the initiator of my current role um and very quickly realized i wanted to be broader in scope and reach and that's when i joined the accelerator originally as a manager for their program and then kind of expanded the scope to be working with more international organizations mm-hmm. i am a firm believer that partnership is what eventually the future is for ecosystems like ours where it's all about connections and network and that's kind of how I um, started building off that revenue line for us and started building those partnerships with uh, the different trade organizations around the world. Being Italian, being international, I can tell that also it's not easy to make it in the US without having that support and that network. Mm-hmm. And it's a real challenge for most of our startups. Doesn't matter how good the business is or how committed the founder is. It really is about where do you have enough support to then, make those steps faster better without losing time money um you know and without destroying your product in the way for startups uh, the runway is always short so being able to make those efficient decisions quickly Mm. enough is very significant
0: so julia weave um maybe you could give me a couple of examples uh as to how you help companies there's probably a, a wide variety of ways you can help a company but um how do you do that? And what's the biggest barrier for international companies coming to the United States?
1: Yeah, so everything starts from really understanding needs of the companies. Every team is different, um, regardless of the industry that they operate mm-hmm. in. We do a first part of the program is really in depth into business analysis. And so we sit down with the founders, myself, usually the entrepreneur-in-residence or our program director, and go over what are some of the challenges that they're having at in their home country with their product or in the U.S. And then based off of those challenges, we draft what is a roadmap, a KPI roadmap where we identify what are some of the immediate next steps that they need to take that we can support them with and what are some of the more long-term goals and what processes we can set up in place together while they're in the program to then get there in a six or 12 months um, period of time. So that's kind of the very beginning. And then we execute in the short term and our programs are, as I mentioned, two weeks up to three months or so, depending on what's our time horizon, we set up those different KPIs. And what we do as a second step is, usually customizing that story um, and making sure that it resonates with the U.S. market. Um, and I'll make some quick example, but, you know, we can have companies that are selling to big uh, international banks or financial institutions in Europe or in Asia or in Australia or wherever else, but not necessarily resonates with the regulation, the market, the clients and the needs that those institutions have in the U.S. And so the first step there is, and the biggest challenge I would say also to answer your question, is really understanding that your market is different even when you have the same client or even for the same product. And so the very first step is crafting that story, outlining what's your unique selling proposition for those clients in the U.S., and then after that is done, and we are sure and that we validate it with a few mentors in, in the program, with potential customers that are also in our network. Once that's validated, we help them with concretely business development. And so sitting in front of the right person in the right company, um, to being able to present their, their product and solution, and, and hopefully that's gonna spark a collaboration. And the backside of this is that our team internally constantly works to build up that corporate network that will be interested in those solutions. And so we can also work as an enabler for corporate partners to find and identify which startups in our network are the right ones to help them with the challenges they're having. And so in the selection process, we keep that in mind as we're recruiting the companies for the next batch. Um, Eventually, we win if it's a win-win situation. And so if the startup are able to concretely present their solution and for the corporate, if that is a match and is actually what they need um, internally. And so if they're able to then close an agreement. And that's one side. Mm -hmm. The other side is if the founders are also looking to raise funds in the U.S., which is very common. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, It's an expensive market. As we know, it's capital intensive. If you need to build a team in the U.S., that naturally follows uh, market acquisition and and, and traction, we help them structure what their fundraising strategies. We don't necessarily invest ourselves or connect directly investors. Yes, if it's a good fit, but most of the times we actually help them structure what their fundraising should look like, how much they should be raising at what valuation, Mm -hmm. for what scope, how would they deploy that funding, and then put them in front of the right investors. So not only validate that, but to start building those relationships for when they are ready to go out and put out their asks.
0: So what would be an example of um, a short-term founder, uh, a short-term problem a founder might have coming to, weave, um, to the Weave Acceleration Program versus a long-term problem? What are the things you see right away and what are the things that kind of play out over a longer period of time?
1: Yeah, so right away is getting access to enough uh, market to validate those statements, right? Like, so if first, if what I'm saying now is that a bank might have a KYC problem in the US, that's very different than the one in the U- in, in Europe because their process is different for customer validation. Um, that for them coming here is not having enough mentorship or enough contacts in the industry to validate that statement, right? Like, and, they're saying, okay, so this is what we're doing. Is this also a challenge here? And who do you ask that question to? You can do it through service, You can do it through trying to get it out with marketing, with your team. But that's very expensive and challenging in ter- for, for a single founder coming to the U.S. While through us, we help them customize what that those questions look like and then also present them in front of the right people that could answer those questions. So that is a very... Immediate challenge that they have, and we help fix. But the other one is also all the infrastructure behind it, meaning, you know, do they need to incorporate in the US or they need to do a Delaware flip? Yes or no? Um, Do they need a legal partner for that? Who's the right legal partner for what they're doing? Do they need to hire internationally? Do they need to hire here in the US? What type of profiles? So we do also review what is their new team structure, who they wanna hire, what's their compensation packages and why, how is it different from your home country? Do you offer equity? Do you offer shares? Do you offer options? What's the baseline in the yes? So anything that really goes into how do I set up my entity here and how do I operate that efficiently with my first two to three hires, which is what they're usually looking for Mm -hmm. when when they come to us.
0: So as you know, I'm working, As an, I think you know, as an entrepreneur in residence at Startup VC, which also works with international founders, and um, at a different stage than, than, than yours and sort of a different purpose, I think. But, but what I have found interesting is that when companies come to the United States from another country, they have a pretty simple but strategically very significant decision to make. And that is, am I going to become a U.S. company or am I going to become, say, a Spanish company in the U.S.? Um, in other words, even though um, at start they they incorporate in Delaware, I think almost every time, so they're technically a U.S. corporation. But there's it's it's not just paperwork, right? It's a it's a, it's like a big commitment. It means that people who are working in the company back in in other countries. Um, uh, you know like the relationship is going to change so what what is your advice on that how how do you decide whether or how do you help founders decide whether to go ahead and make the plunge 100% be a US company with all that implies or you know to sort of moderate that and 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 be more of a company that is based in their home country what's yeah, your advice yeah that's an
1: excellent it's an excellent question, it's very hard to answer because I really think it depends case by case. Um, usually, what my advice would be is for companies that are going through our type of program, so they're a little bit more mature than the one you guys are following at Stardust, they usually, when they're ready to make the jump to the U.S., they're ready to go for larger funding, so it's usually $10, $20, 30000000 million in funding series CSB, they're looking for a lead investor in the U.S., they already assess the fact that this is their main market, right? So that 60, 70% of the revenue is eventually going to come from the U.S. And when you are at that stage, it makes absolute sense to incorporate in the U.S. and start building those processes to make the the flip Um, versus we did have other companies that don't necessarily, for example, need to be located in the U.S. They might have a product that can be sold from anywhere. Their team is, their tech team is entirely in another country. They, you know, and I and I had a product management company, for example, that did this, right? Like they are absolutely remote. They do not need to be in the U.S. Yes, their revenues were, are coming from the U.S. even before joining the program, but mm-hmm. their clients are all internationals and they didn't require any, Um, presence, legal presence in the US to be able to invoice and pay the invoices to them or like to be on the platform. And so in those cases, they didn't need to fundraise at all because they were um, cash flow positive, revenue generating, they didn't need additional funding, it wasn't totally grown by the, the revenues. And so in that case, it didn't make any sense to say you need to incorporate in the us it's more how do you operate your team globally perhaps you do want to have a few employees in the us you don't necessarily need to have your headquarters here and so it does depend case by case our advice is usually if you're going full-fledged and you need that technology backup that investor backup and th- those clients in the us then yes you should definitely make the the jump and in the long run that's gonna be Um, rewarding if not then not Mm -hmm. necessarily
0: yeah now now to what degree i had a founder say to me recently um oh geez i gotta i've gotta come to new york gotta come to new york to what to what degree do you think that founders um in other countries have this uh have this i would call it an american dream you know, this idea that, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to be Elon Musk. I'm going to come from South Africa. I'm going to, you know, change the world. How, how much of, how real is that? How much of that is for, is for sure is, uh, is, is yeah. out there. The dream. You don't how need to like my,
1: my, my short answer to that, it was just I be. Like, you don't need to be here to validate and test your market. Cause we have. And I mean, the pandemic taught us this, right? Like we have been running programs entirely remotely for two years. And we had companies closing deals with huge financial institution, fundraising, like anything, and they didn't move from their own house. So it is possible to move the needle even virtually, especially today, in 2022, for sure. Um, So there's a component there that I would say is being mindful of when you want to put in the resources to do this because there is an element where I can tell you if you are in person, it's going to make the difference. If you are fundraising, I feel like especially investors have been scarred by the fact that they deployed all of their capital from a, a camera, right? Like in 30 minute meetings, and we're seeing now how that turned out to be versus in over three months with the uh, adequate diligence, meeting the team, knowing the founders, and that's in, on both sides. So. I do think there's an element for which you should be here when you need to be here, but you don't need to be here at all costs. And that is an element I feel of like, you know, this is the American dream. I just want to be in New York. I want to feel the energy and they will feel the energy, but that is something that they could also do from home and like save resources, especially at the earlier stage versus when it's really significant and like the commitment is much more in depth than they should be coming to the US and meet their partners in person, especially as they're building out the team.
0: But it sounds like you have seen what I'm talking about, where there are founders who it's a big piece of their dream. It's a big, it's a box to be checked yeah. and a big one. And it comes with a lot of advantages. Let's not, let's be clear. But don't you run into things like um, that I've seen uh, at Startup and elsewhere is that if if somebody decides, okay, I'm going to run this company from the United States, now they have to make sure they have the right visa or green card. They have to be, you know, lined up in terms of immigration. Um, a lot of times I've seen they have to, you know, they have to leave the country. They can't stay here indefinitely on a on certain types yeah. of visas. So what what do you, what is your advice on that? Do you, how involved do you get in the immigration uh, the immigration conversation? Yeah.
1: Well, it is very painful. I recently was talking about this, because um, I'm, I'm not sure if you heard, but there's maybe there's going to be an entrepreneur visa. I think it didn't really pass through House and Senate yet, um, the W visa that would be just specifically for certain founders, which I think would encourage more and more founders to come and get access to a visa, but the visa process is extremely painful. Um, especially if you're not at that stage of growth that justifies it. There is a, you know, there's the investor visa that's very not very easy to obtain, but it's pretty simple. Like if you meet the criteria, it's very likely you're gonna get it depending on the country. It's gonna take more or less time. We get involved to a certain degree, but immigration is something that is really founder by founder. There's uh, so many different types of visas that finding the right one. Um, Is based on who you are, what's your skill set, what's your background and what your company does, what's the investment that you put into the company. Are you going to open an office here or not? How much are you going to invest in the company here? Um, If you are a mature founder with a mature company from abroad coming to the U.S., that process is much easier um, because you are going to be able to meet the criteria for an investor visa, most likely, or if not, For an O visa, that's extraordinary ability because you have been, you know, as a founder of a company, you usually do meet those requirements. As an early stage founder, on the other hand, you don't necessarily do. And so that becomes very tricky and very complicated to stay long term and to be able to run operations. And I also just think it's a lot, you know, of energy. The U.S. is not an easy market. It's complicated. And so if 100% of your time goes into... Finding a visa, being able to stay here, try to run operations, and you kind of forget of your team at home. That eventually is gonna hurt your growth as a company in your country. That you know, it's something that no founder should wanna have.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough. We're talking with uh, Julia Imperatrice. She is the chief operating officer at Weave Acceleration in New York City. They work with. Um, companies from around the world. They also work with uh, government agencies from their home countries to finance, um, um, at times, to finance their programs. So maybe you could give me a company or two that you're particularly proud of, that you've helped as kind of a case study um, for what, what can really happen when people join your program.
1: Yeah, it's hard to pick. You're asking me to pick among what I feel like they're all my children now. But um, no, there's a want, few companies. Uh, I want that... you to
0: pick. I want you to pick your child. Yeah, you can, have, you can have two. How about that? I'll give you two.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's helpful. I'll pick one for fundraising, I guess, and one from the business development side. Um, one company that we had in the program, and I, you know, I was super impressed when I read the article. Just fundraise a hundred million dollars from. U.S. investors here. And I remember helping Alex, the founder of the company's Enfini, uh, when the company had a different name, We joined the program as Hubstairs. And I remember helping him crafting his pitch for investors. He was going for a $1 million raise at the time. He was really building out his story here in the U.S. And Alex is one of those founders that works really hard, that doesn't show off. Um, that always cared for his team, and you can say and you can see how dedicated and committed he was. He, he is. To what's his the company from, the,
0: Julia. What's the new name of the company?
1: The company is called Infinite. Um, In, I can Infinite. send it. To
0: you. Infinite.
1: Yeah. Infinite, and and uh, it was previously previously called HubStairs, from France. Okay. Um Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the story of a founder that has put all of his efforts into the company and then eventually was able to make it happen. He has been coming here to the U.S. every single year. Um, He has been really done tremendous effort to also partner. Like I know that he participated in after the program, in other events with the French tech, French founders, like he really did leverage his ecosystem to continue building. He stayed in touch. Uh, participated with us in a few learning expeditions. We'd be clients after the program was over. It's just like one of those people that keeps engaging the network and the ecosystem. And, you know, three years after you see he's raising a hundred million dollars from those investors that he was engaging with earlier on. So he has done everything he needed to.
0: That's a big one. And okay, give me one more.
1: Um, One for business development, I feel can I say a few? <laughs> One did an, a, another amazing story is actually um, ZigZag Global from the UK. Um, this is a retail tech company. It joined our program virtually. I want to talk about this specifically because it was an entirely virtual program. And they have been with us. They were really focused on customer acquisition clients because they did have enough funding. They were growing their teams and they were experiencing tremendous growth. And they have leveraged every single feedback they got from the mentors in the program to improve their processes and grow their teams and, and continue scaling. And six months after they were growing so quickly that they got acquired by um, a larger group. And that's like another tremendous success because they were able to close um, an agreement for $70 million, get, got acquired, and uh, continue staying and scaling their, their business. And what's yeah, the name so of that, that one was again?
0: A, Tell us the name again.
1: Zigzag, Zigzag Global.
0: Zigzag Global. Interesting. Well, listen, um, Julia, this has been super interesting. Um, I really appreciate it. And tell us right now the countries that you're operating in or that have have put companies in in the weave acceleration.
1: Over 25, so I can mention a few. Um, We're working with Canada. We have worked with Mexico. We work with uh, Argentina. We work with Brazil. Uh, we we'll work with uh, almost all Europe. So we have a Finnish company right now in the program. Italy, Spain, uh, Portugal, Germany. Uh, what else? Belgium, Switzerland. <laughs> we work so with India, of, Australia. A lot of
0: countries. How about in Africa?
1: Um, in Africa, we had Tunisia, the Mauritius, um, and I think Algeria.
0: Okay. Egypt. So just, just getting started. Yeah. Well, yes. thank you. And how many languages do you speak?
1: Four, not not enough to cover the entirety of our portfolio. I it's Portuguese, Indian, a bunch of others, but this gets me by.
0: So Portuguese, Italian, no, English, I
1: speak Spanish, French, Italian, and English.
0: Spanish, French, Italian, and English. Okay, great. Well, listen. Thanks so much for being with us here on um, on the accelerator. Um, we are here. Um, every week at the very least. We're on all the uh, major podcast networks, including Apple, Audible, Amazon, and others that don't begin with A. And uh, you can also see us on YouTube uh, if you want to get the full picture. And um, uh, we would love it if you um, put in a good word for us, subscribe, and also give us a high rating if possible. And um, you can find me at uh on linkedin of course but also michaelconiff.com m-i-c-h-a-e-l-c-o-n-n-i-f-f dot com at michaelconiff at twitter and uh, i want to thank you for watching thank you again julia and uh we'll be back with another podcast before you know it
1: thank you michael
0: thank you julia